Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're going to start to read verse 11. It says, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him. For he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is a living thing, that it is powerful. Lord, we just pray that as we open it together, Lord, that you would speak to us from it, Lord, and that our hearts would be open to hear what you would say. And today, Lord, that you would strengthen your people. God, I pray that we would look to you as we've never looked to you before, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Bless the Lord. The book of Deuteronomy is both a summary and a reminder of what God has done for the people of Israel during the time of Moses' leadership and the commandments that they had received. Most of the book is Moses recapping on a lot of those things. The life of this great leader, one of the greatest leaders in the Word of God, is in its final act. Moses knows his life is coming toward a close, and Moses wants to impress upon the people one more time both their privilege and their obligation. They knew the Word of God. They'd heard the Word of God. They were given instruction in the Word of God. If you read Deuteronomy, you will see that Moses reminded them of how he set up a structure, of how he gave them elders to go to for direction, for judgment, for assistance. They knew the instruction of the Lord. They were not ignorant. They had seen the power of God. They'd seen the Lord do miraculous things that defy imagination, that people who do not believe in God still try to downsize and to explain away in rational terms and understanding. But God had demonstrated his miraculous power. He would brought them through the Red Sea. He would fed them water from a rock. He would guided them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He would fed them in the desert when there was no food. He would given them victories that they numerically should never have won. 
And again and again he had demonstrated them and his power to them. And yet when we read the book of Deuteronomy after all of these things, Moses is still compelled to challenge them, to choose life. He said there are only two options. There is God's way which leads to life and blessing and privilege, or there is the way of false gods and idol worship and the service of self that will lead to cursing. And even in the Old Testament, under the terms and conditions, a reduction of the length of their lives. And this morning, we are really no different from the Israelites. And so I stand in this pulpit this morning, and I'm going to preach to you today simply this thought. Make up your mind. Amen. Make up your mind. Hallelujah. The, the example of Moses and Deuteronomy is not isolated throughout Scripture. But you will see it repeated again and again. As Moses dies, having only seen the promised land afar off, his mantle, his anointing, his authority falls upon the shoulders of a young man by the name of Joshua, a man of faith, a man of faithfulness to Moses, a man who was a warrior and, and a man who was diligent and a great servant to Moses while he was the leader. And we know that Joshua led them into the promised land. And again, we see the miraculous. We see the flooded Jordan part. And we see the walls of Jericho fall down simply at the sound of praise and worship. We see miracle and deliverance again and again as the Lord clears the land before them and provides them with houses they did not build, vineyards they did not plant, things that were there ready for them to move in. But even at the end of Joshua's life, when he finds himself at a similar chapter to Moses, when he knows that his natural body is coming to the end of its lifespan, in Joshua chapter 24, you see the same challenge repeated. Many of us learned it as a memory verse in Sunday school and in Bible quizzing in Joshua 24:15, where Joshua says, If it seem evil to you today to serve the Lord, he says, Choose. Make a decision today. Are you going to serve the gods that your fathers served on the other side of the flood? Which would be a really bad choice because we know what happened to them. Or the gods of the people in the land that you're dwelling in? Or are you going to serve the Lord? And Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, I've made up my mind. I've been through some hard times. Joshua had seen some difficult times. So had Moses, but they had made up their mind. And again, you see the pattern repeated in Scripture as David begins to fade and his life begins to end. He calls Solomon in and he says to his son Solomon, he said, I'm going the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. He said, be strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. In other words... Make up your mind, Solomon. You know, the New Testament uses an expression that we should quit like men. Now, we use the word quit in a little bit of a different way. And unfortunately, we live in an age where a lot of men are quitters. But when it says quit ye like men, it means make the decision. Make the decision and be done with it. David said to Solomon, he said, Keep the charge of the Lord thy God. Walk in his ways. Keep his statutes. Keep his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as is written in the law of Moses that you will prosper 
in everything that you do and wherever you turn yourself. He said, man up, son. Solomon was taking the throne in the midst of a lot of infighting within the family. There were other sons that felt they should be on the throne. And there was this one and that one. And there were problems. And Solomon was coming in to a little bit of an unstable situation. And David said to him, son, be a man. Make your decision. I had an uncle that he's no longer with us, but he used to have an expression when, when my aunt was wavering between what she wanted to do. He, would, he had an expression I love. He would say, make a choice and murder the alternatives. In other words, make the decision, take everything else off the table. Make a choice. Stick with it. I don't know how she responded to that advice. If you knew my aunt, probably not very well. But we are encouraged from the Word of God to make up our minds. We've already referenced Acts chapter 20 this morning, but in those closing remarks to the elders at Ephesus, whom Paul, when you read the whole chapter, it, it's obvious that he loved those men. He said there in verse 31 of Acts 20, he said, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone day and night or night and day with tears. Paul said, I've told you again and again and again. Make up your mind. He said, I'm going. This is the last time that you will see my face. He said, but make up your mind. Watch over the church. Take heed unto yourselves. Walk in the ways of the Lord. Even the Apostle Peter, there is this pattern repeats throughout Scripture. But even Peter, as he got old in 2 Peter chapter 1, he said, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them. He said, You've already been told, he said, but I'm going to keep reminding you and be established in the present truth. So your truth's only valuable if you've got it in the present. If you've got truth in your past, that's good, but it's the present truth that matters. He said, yea, I think it meet, or I think it's appropriate as long as I'm in this tabernacle, in his body. He said, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off my tabernacle. Just like Paul, just like Joshua, just like David, just like Moses, Peter knew he was coming to the end. He knew that the candle of his life was going to be snuffed out. And he said, even as our Lord had showed me, he said, moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease, when I'm gone, he said, to have these things always in remembrance. He said, I'm going, but make up your mind. Every one of these godly men and godly leaders said, I want to know that when I'm gone, that the things that I've placed in your hearts, the things that I've set before you, the things that I've taught, you're going to hang on to them. And if you read the Word of God, you'll see that there's varying levels of success. Some of you may remember that not long before Brother Glass left town, he preached one Sunday morning and he listed, it was an unusual service, but he listed the titles of the messages that he had preached over the almost 10 years that he was our pastor. He was making the same point that Moses made, that Joshua made, that David and Paul and Peter made. He was saying, you've heard the word of God again and again. He said, make up your mind. Make up your mind. Bless the Lord. And we read in the, in the word of the Lord, 
And we read in historical accounts from the last 2,000 years of men and women, children even, who were beaten, who were tortured, who were killed for the name of Jesus, who even in that horrible suffering would not deny him. And then I look at my struggles. I look at the things that rock me so easily. And I wonder how made up my mind really is. When I consider the times I've thought of giving up and how I've wanted to quit because somebody hurt my feelings or somebody made fun of me for being a Christian or some one of my brethren let me down. And I place that on a scale or in a balance with somebody that was burned at the stake or stoned to death or put in prison. And when I've been to East Timor, Brother Bernardo, there's some of you have met him. He's a, an older man now. Nobody really knows how old he is. He doesn't have a birth certificate. But he's probably about 80. He was in prison in our age for being an apostolic. He wasn't even a oneness preacher at that point. But he was put in prison by the Indonesian government and was only delivered because of the intervention of the Portuguese ambassador on his behalf. And I think, Lord, how made up is my mind. Could I keep the faith like John the Baptist did when the realization dawned on him that Jesus was not going to deliver him from that prison cell? When he sent his disciples out to the Lord and he said, are you the, are you the one that should come or should we look for somebody else? And Jesus said, go back and tell him the dead are raised, the deaf hear, the blind see, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. But no, I'm coming to save you, John. That wasn't on the table. But John held on. And you can read about how highly Jesus regarded John. I asked myself, could I keep the faith like that? Is my mind made up to that level? And if I'm honest, I doubt that I could. You've been honest this morning. If you want to sack me after the service because of that, that's okay. But when I look at what some of these people went through, and I look at my resolve, I think, God, I have a long way to go. Could you imagine if you were able to travel in time, go back and sit next to the Apostle Paul the day after he was stoned and left for dead? Some say he died, some say he didn't. You can debate that later. Could you imagine sitting next to him where every movement he made was agony? Every time he breathed a broken rib or a punctured lung sent sharp slivers of pain throughout his body sitting next to him and telling him of your struggle to overcome the fact that a brother hadn't said hello to you for three Sundays in a row. <laughs> and he's sitting there and he's just swollen and bruised and broken and can hardly breathe or speak. I feel your pain, Paul. Yeah, right. Is our mind made up today? Bless the Lord. You see, we're living in a time in this country where there is some incredible social change that is being forced upon us. And not a lot of people necessarily agree with it, but nobody's doing anything about it. And the devil's going to have his way because the people of this world are, are listening to him. And what we once thought was freedom is no longer going to be freedom. We may, if the Lord doesn't return soon, find ourselves facing some genuine persecution. How made up is your mind this morning? Bless the Lord. James chapter 1 and verse 8. It's just a short verse. It says, A double-minded man is unstable 
in all his ways. The context of this verse, if you read around it, it speaks about having faith and lacking faith and wavering between the two. Trusting God, not trusting God. Trusting God, not trusting God. You see, as believers, excuse me, there are only two minds that we have to choose from. I don't believe that you can be filled with the Holy Ghost and be demon-possessed. I believe that's unscriptural and ungodly. There are some people who believe that, but they're wrong. <laughs> that's just how it is. <laughs> and so if you have the Holy Ghost, having evil spirits is not an option. But there are still two minds that you deal with. One is the mind of Christ or the mind of the Spirit that lives within us. And the other one is the carnal mind. One serves God, the other serves self and the things that self desires. And the two are not similar. In fact, they're opposites. And James said that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So if I am trying to somehow think with both of these minds or to allow my decision-making processes to pass through both of these minds, then I am, according to the Word of God, unstable in all my ways. If I'm unstable, that means I lose my balance easily. I'm staggering. I'm stumbling. I'm not really sure which direction I'm going in. I'm going from one thought to another thought and trying to decide what is the best of both situations. I'm trying to listen to two different voices and I'm failing to satisfy either of them. That's why the Lord said, no man can serve two masters. But he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which is an old English word which talks about riches and the pleasures of this life. You cannot serve self and serve God. It's impossible. It'd be like trying to work for Coke and Pepsi at the same time. Or McDonald's and Hungry Jacks. They're, they're competition with each other. Some people spiritually are employed by both companies. And they're unstable in all their ways. Amen. When you read the New Testament, go home if you've got Bible software and search it. You'll see how many times the church is instructed to be in one mind or to be in the same mind, or to be in one accord, which means the same thing. It means to be in one mind. My question this morning is, which mind do you think it's referring to? The mind of self or the mind of Christ? You see, there are, things, there are times in the Bible that everybody's in one mind, but it's not of God. Read the book of Genesis with the Tower of Babel. They're in one mind, but they're op opposing the things that God wanted. You read in Acts chapter 7 where they stoned Stephen, it says they all ran at him with one accord. They were in one mind, but they weren't pleasing God. So when it says that we should all be in one mind, it's the mind that Paul was talking about in Philippians 2, and he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He meant double-minded Christians will struggle continually, and more often than not will surrender to the voice of, of the carnal mind than the mind of the spirit because they have not made up their minds. Some of you know my dog. My children say I love my dog more than them. And I'm happy to admit that. No, not really. But my dog, like any dog, loves to chase a ball. But somewhere along the way, probably a failure of mine, she refuses to give you the ball. 
You can throw it and she will bring it and then she will not let it go. And the only way that you can consistently get the ball off the dog is to introduce the second ball. Because when you introduce the second ball, suddenly the dog wants both of the balls. And if I throw the second ball, she will drop the first ball and run after the second ball. And I can, if I have two balls, I can keep this game going all day. It's the only way she will release that ball is by introducing something else. Some of us are like that. We're double-minded. We're trying to chase both balls. In fact, if I'm careful, I can actually end up with both the balls and the dog has none because I've presented options and confusion. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18. A very well-known story. Israel was in a time of drought. The heavens were shut up because of the sin that their king Ahab had led them into. See, this is the product, this is part of the end product of Solomon not heeding to his father David's advice. And David said, be a man, serve God. Solomon did that for a while, built the great temple, was the wisest king there ever was. Israel was, had the best economy going around the world. There was peace. But Solomon introduced other balls. He built a worship house over here for this idol because he married an idolatrous woman. Married another idolatrous woman and built her a temple and had all these idol-worshipping wives and built them all little houses of worship to keep them all happy. And he didn't remove God, but he added options. Because of that, in his sons and his grandsons and great-grandsons, civil war came into the land. The nation was split. Wicked king after wicked king led the people of God into idol worship and all manner of wicked and horrible things in a kingdom that was supposed to be the people of God. Because of the sin of one of these kings, Ahab was, was one of the worst. Because of the wickedness, God had held back the rain at the word of the prophet Elijah. In the Old Testament, you very much see the goodness, the approval of God corresponded with material blessing. And so because of their sin, there was no rain, which we know would affect their crops, it affected their flocks and their herds. And then there came a time when the Lord decided it was time to end the drought and to address the situation. So he instructed Elijah to go and to meet with Ahab. Ahab had been searching for Elijah, hadn't been doing too well, but Elijah decided at the Lord's instruction to present himself to this wicked king. And you read in 1 Kings 17 and 18, and you see that the first thing that Ahab says to the prophet he says, art thou the man that troubleth Israel? It wasn't the prophet's fault. It was Ahab's fault. But it's worth noticing that a carnal, wicked king blamed the man of God for the consequences for his own sin. That's, that's just a freebie. So in, in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21, it says, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long? Holchi between two opinions. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people answered him, not a word. Elijah said, brothers, it's time to make up your mind. It's time to make up your mind one way 
or the other. You know, you see this example throughout Scripture. It shouldn't surprise us. See, in the book of Exodus, where Moses came down from the mountain and Aaron had been weak, so weak that he'd made the golden calf. The Israelites were worshipping the golden calf and sinning and doing all sorts of immoral things. And Aaron blamed the people and Moses came down and he was angry. And you see the story. Moses says, who is on the Lord's side? And he said, come and stand with me. And then he said, take every one of you your sword and go and take care of the others. And the Bible says they were their brothers, their fathers, their cousins. It was their own families. But the Lord said, make up your mind. In Numbers chapter 16, I believe it is, where Korah and Dathan and Abiram rose up against Moses' leadership, again, God said, separate yourselves. Pick a side. And we'll see who's God. And the Lord judged them to make up their mind. So Elijah issues the same challenge that is repeated throughout Scripture. How long will you halt between two opinions? That word halt means to limp or to stumble or to stagger. When Jacob wrestled with the angel, the angel touched the hollow of his thigh and the sinew shrank. It says that he halted on that thigh for the rest of his life. He walked with a limp. There was something wrong. He didn't have the stability that he used to have. And the the prophet says, how long are you going to stagger and stumble between these two opinions? Because they were in a country where the temple was still there. The priesthood was still there. But so was the golden calf. So was the god Molech and all the other false gods that they introduced. It wasn't that they'd written God off. It's just that they'd introduced options. And the Lord is very clear. He said, I am the Lord. Beside me, there is none else. He said, I am a jealous God. Not jealous in the way that we try to teach our children not to be jealous, but jealous in the sense that he rightfully claims all worship and all honor and all praise belongs to him. And Elijah said, it is time to make up your mind. And it says, the people answered them not a word. You know why? They're still double-minded. They still had a foot in each camp. Well, we're going to see how this plays out because they were double-minded. And many of us have known the story since we were children of how they erected two altars and the prophets of Baal, they got their their sacrifice and they placed it on top of that altar. And the the rules were that nobody could bring their own fire, that their God had to answer by fire. And those 400, 800 prophets, false prophets, begin to dance and sing and do all the stuff that they did. And let me... This is not my notes. Don't be caught up by religious performance that masquerades as Christianity. I don't care how good somebody's praise and worship team is. I don't care how many CDs they sell. And I'm not going to go much further than that. I'm going to leave that alone. But don't let that deceive you. If there's no fire on the altar, it's not of God. And the prophet built his altar. Old man, didn't have a nice suit on. Didn't probably, he was a wild and woolly looking man. And the, the, the prophets of Baal exhausted themselves. They wore themselves out. They got no fire. And Elijah, being very politically correct and not wanting to hurt somebody's feelings, said, maybe your God's on holidays. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to make a bit more noise and wake him up. 
He was really making fun of them. They'd given it their best shot. They'd danced. They had all their moves and everything. All their robes were matching. No expense was spared. But he said, well, maybe God's gone out. He'll come back soon. And then the old man, when they finally surrendered. You see, here's the thing. Sooner or later, it's got to come down to who has the power of God. The book of Job says, what is the hope of the hypocrite? It goes on to basically say, when God shows up, you know, something's false. You can get away with things that are false until the real thing shows up. And the old prophet built his altar, raised the stakes, flooded it with barrels of water, didn't dance, didn't sing. We don't know if Elijah could sing or not. But he prayed. Not a long prayer, just a short prayer. Basically, he said, Lord, these people need to make up their mind. And he asked the Lord to hear his voice. And the Bible says that God answered with fire from heaven. It came down that consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It consumed the stones. It licked up all the water that was flooded that thing and in the trenches around about and then then the people said the lord he is the god amen but the thing that's amazing is we read that and we think well that's the end of the story they're going to serve the lord forever after that but israel fell back into their old habits because even the demonstration of the power of god still requires each of us as individuals to make up our own mind. I've seen the supernatural happen again and again in people's lives where they are healed, where God provides miraculously, where God opens doors that were impossible and they walk away from Him and do not serve Him. We have to make up our minds. We have to make a decision and murder the alternatives. We have to decide, I'm going to serve God, whatever comes my way. I'm going to love truth, whatever comes my way. And if things get tough in this country, I'm going to hold my ground. I'm going to quit like a man. I'm going to stand the way that God would have me to stand, not because I'm strong, but because He will keep me. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And the Bible goes on to tell us at the end of the chapter that Elijah said unto the king, or in between... In between this, after the fire, they took all those false prophets down to the river and they cut them to pieces. So, if my warning to you a little early this morning, you found it a little strong, take it up with the logic. They took those false prophets down to the river and they sliced and they diced and they killed hundreds of false prophets. And then Elijah said to Ahab, he said, get up and get back to town because there's rain coming. At that point, there might have been a bit of wind. There was something of a sound it would seem. But there were no clouds. And then Ahab went and Elijah went up to the top of the hill. He cast himself down upon the earth, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And Elijah said, Go seven times. And finally, the servant came back. I imagine he's getting a bit frustrated climbing up and down that hill seven times. But finally he came back and he said, there is a little cloud, just a little one, the size of a man's hand. I'm not going to get much of a drink out of that, Elijah. Just a little cloud. And the prophet said to Ahab, get in your chariot and go as fast as you can so that the rain doesn't stop you from getting home. 
This is the New Simon version of the Old Testament. It says, It came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab, this old sunburnt prophet, outran the king's chariot. King had the best horses in the whole land. Mind you, it was a drought, so the horses might have been a little bit underperforming. But a thirsty old prophet, under the power of God, turned into Usain Bolt and beat the chariot back into the city. And it began to pour. Stand with me if you would this morning. Sister Stanker, if I could have you on the piano, please. I'm going to bring this message this morning because I feel like we're in a place where we're full of hypocrites. That's not my point. My point is we need to examine where we're at and make up our minds. In the book of Revelation, in the first couple of two or three chapters, those seven churches of, of Asia Minor were written to and given report cards of their performance. And the one that got the most damning report was not a church that was necessarily full of great sin, but it was a church that was neither hot nor cold, but stuck in the middle. Just like Elijah, how long halt you between two opinions? Make up your mind. To the point that God said, I'd prefer that you were cold. That's a powerful statement. He said, I would prefer that you were cold rather than this lukewarm in between. See, let me tell you something about lukewarm. From a professional viewpoint, I've shared some of this before. But there is a reason with food that they tell you to keep it under a certain temperature or above a certain temperature. It all has to do with bacteria. You keep something really cold, you restrict bacteria's ability to grow. You keep it really hot, you boil it, you put it in an oven, it kills bacteria. But in between those ranges, bacteria can thrive and fester and corrupt. And you go and get that warm chicken sandwich that you forgot you had in your bag all day. And in a moment of poor judgment, you eat that thing. You may have a few days off school or work. Not because there was anything necessarily wrong with the bread or the chicken to start with, but it was kept in a place where it was neither hot nor cold. When we find ourselves in a place of lukewarm spirituality, we are subject and susceptible to all manner of spiritual bacteria, if I can use that parallel. And we will take things into ourselves without realizing it that will cause us to turn and begin to smell and make other people sick. Most of all. My question this morning is, is there a drought going on in your walk with God? Are you thirsty and you can't understand why the heavens haven't opened? Maybe we need to make up our minds. Maybe there are some idols we need to tear down and see God open the windows of heaven. The book of Isaiah chapter 40 says, He gives power to the faint. To them that have no might, He increases strength. Even the youths, those that are physically strong, it says they'll faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. 
He said, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. And like that sunburnt old prophet, they shall run, not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Bless the Lord. Isaiah said, I think it's chapter 26 and verse 3, he said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Bless the Lord. Is your mind made up this morning? There's, there's an old song, if I had it got a bit more organized, Brother Paul and I could have maybe made a mess of it together. But it simply says, I've got my foot on the rock, and my mind's made up. I walk through the lonely valley, I'll drink from the bitter cup. The devil comes around trying to show me the easy way. I'm going to stand right there on the ground and throw my head in the air, look him straight in the eye and say, my foot's on the rock and my mind's made up. Lift your hands and worship him this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. If you're in that place of indecision this morning, if you're not really sure what you're doing with your life you know there are things that God wants you to give to him things that he wants you to commit to him make up your mind this morning make a decision murder the alternatives bring that decision to the altar and say Lord I'm stepping out by faith this morning I'm demonstrating Lord that I'm going to make up my mind I'm not going to be stuck between two opinions, backwards and forwards, confused and weak and wavering and unstable in all my ways, but I'm going to make up my mind. I'm going to serve you, Lord. I'm going to walk with you, Lord. Whatever comes my way, I'm going to stand on a rock and say, God, I've made up my mind this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord.